When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Hello, welcome to the Snooker Scene Podcast. I'm Dave Hendon. This week I've had a chat with the Irishman Fergal O'Brien, 1999 British Open champion and runner-up in the 2001 Masters. Just one thing, Fergal is quite softly spoken, so you might want to turn the volume up. Fergal, what are your early memories of snooker? How did you start playing the game? Uh, early when I was watching that on TV. Um, very great picture actually of the World Cup, you know, with State Express. Where you were in a match or something, um, and then started watching them for Christmas. I got a very small table that literally just fit on the kitchen table, and then the following year my grandparents got me an eight by four table. It was only eight, like, but that was like huge to me. I thought it was a full size. It was that big, <laughs> um, so I literally played on that day and night for years. And then I blew at twelve or so. I started going to the clubs with my dad like, on a Sunday morning, and then I'd say from around the age of fourteen. I started going travelling, playing in like junior tournaments, uh, and certainly from 14, that was all I wanted to do. These were heady times for snooker. We're talking now early 80s, so this is like the boom period. It's on TV all the time. A yeah. great time to discover the game. Yeah, absolutely. Like I still remember as a 10-year-old, Alex Higgins winning the world title and uh, going up to my room straight after and doing a big poster, uh, you know, Alex Higgins, world champion. Yeah. And then, of course, then um, watching Taylor... Uh, Dave was finally uh, at home, sitting on the couch with your mum, and <laughs> we were cheering for tennis, so Davis was playing, we were going, miss, miss, miss. Mm. But um, that was obviously fantastic, and I think more, or it was in around that time, I think, it, around that Christmas, it seems that everybody got a 6 sure. three table that Christmas, and mm. it exploded. What was uh, the scene like then in Ireland at that time? A pretty, pretty strong amateur uh, amateur game, really. Um, obviously, the junior players, obviously, Cam's three years ahead of me so yeah. he was starting to when I was 14 he was 17 I think he was already Irish champion by then so there was very good very good strong international team you know fellas that did well in world amateurs and the likes mm. um, so coming through and obviously the likes of Ken Stephen Murphy Anthony O'Connor they were kind of the next they were budding professionals mm. even when they were amateurs effectively and then uh, and obviously then once Ken and Stephen Murphy went away to England where Eugene was and that's sort of like the next few behind the likes of myself, Joe Delaney, Stephen O'Connor, 
you kind of came a little bit to the fore, and then of course it went open. Then mm. anybody could go pro, I think, at 35 or so from Ireland. Yeah. Overnight became professionals, you know. Yeah. So. When did it, was there a moment where you thought, this isn't only fun, but I'm actually good at it? Did you, did you realise, hang on, I can actually play this game? God, I don't know if I had, I had sort of like a moment as such, more that, you know, you kind of knew you were good, but obviously, even when I was young, like 11, I played well, I played football until I was 14, 14 so mm. when I was a kid, like, Eight nine, I was you know going to still going to bed with a cup on under the arm, right. and cute. So, and then during the summers, I wouldn't play, pick up the cue at all. We'd play playing pitching football, tennis, or whatever was on TV. Mm. But this is probably more around 14, 15. It wasn't so much a dawn to me that I was good, and more dawn to me that this is what I wanted to do. Whether I was good or not, it was neither here nor there. <laughs> I was going to make myself good. And what is it about? snooker that you th- think attracted you I mean obviously you enjoyed watching it on TV but in terms of because it's a very disciplined sport isn't it you've got to be disciplined Is that? do you think it suits your personality yeah it does a discipline is mm. probably what I could probably, I could probably do it easing off on the discipline sometimes <laughs> um, yeah no just I like the idea of playing just one person so it's in your control mm. um, so you're not relying on others and also then from experience playing football as I was as I was starting to play and I played on a very good team um, you know, I didn't fancy uh, <coughs> at around 12, 13, I was trying to take a bit of a stretch. I was getting football, I was getting a little more physical. And weak, tricky wingers like me were, you know, getting booted up. So I wasn't so keen. And having the left back shouting at me, telling me what to do, mm. that lost a little bit of a pain as well. So mm. the result, you were obviously relying on others, but also if it was going bad, you didn't have somebody in your ear held. <laughs> Yeah. giving you abuse from the sidelines absolutely so talk about turning pro as you say this was 91 so this is just gone open you can literally just turn up but uh, w- were the doubts about doing it because it's a bit of a leap into the, the unknown isn't it especially when you're still young yeah absolutely and I think what was important for me at that time is the year previously which had finished in 1990 and it's still done I'd only finished school in 1990 uh, I finished number two in Ireland in the rankings, but hadn't won up on the points terms and such, similar to like eight ranking events. Uh, and even the start of the next season, I'd left school, I was playing loads, I was actually tournaments getting worse. Yeah. But then in the new year of 91, I won one, and then I won another one. So the last tournaments I played in Ireland before I went to England, I won. So the fact that I won two tournaments kind of gave me a little bit of a boost. Because you kind of, the theory was, you know, if you can't be winning in Ireland, you're hardly going to win over in England. Um, so that probably confidence was very important and then going to England um, you know the first year but it's more even the year after when I moved to England that was effectively the breakthrough you know the success if I've had any I wouldn't have had if I didn't move you know if you look at the players the most successful Irish Republic Ireland players of all time Ken Darney myself and Eugene Hughes (coughs) we all were actually at one time in the same club in Ilford so that day in day of competition of players that's what brought me on. It was a higher standard in that club mm. than there was in Ireland. Mm. But yeah, I mean, the, the first um, people also talk about the Norbreck in Blackpool. But actually, when you turned pro, it was pre-Norbreck, wasn't it? This was like the first year, so it was played in snooker clubs, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. playing snooker clubs: uh, Aldershot, mm. uh, Bolton, and Sheffield. Mm. As I said I was living. In the, <coughs> I was living actually with um, Stephen O'Connor mm. uh, for a few months, and Tim Dunphy's Aidan Dunphy's son. Sure. Um, so we, I can still remember, like, because obviously money was tight, you know. Uh, you know, 12 o'clock after a match maybe getting on the National Express from 12 o'clock from Sheffield mm. 6 hours to London morning you know, getting the train back home then to be 9 o'clock to try and cut down on costs or whatever. Mm. so that was good travelling but I did okay in that I, could, I won a good lot of matches so there was enough 
success there certainly did give me new enthusiasm. I think mm. after the first year, I finished 192, which mm. wasn't too bad considering yeah. it was whatever. And then it was the following year that I moved uh, to England. You know, from the February of 92, I moved. Mm. Had a house for six months, which brought me more or less up to Blackpool. Mm. So day in, day out, I had to play really well just mm. to stay on the table because you could, if you lost that first best of seven in the morning, mm. uh, you know, they're playing good players. Mark King, Chris yeah. Brooks, you know, Stuart Reardon, mm. Stuart Parnell, all became professionals. Yeah. You'd have lost that first one, that was your, your day done because it was winter stays on. Yeah. So you'd have to go down the hall and play on your own. Mm. So day in, day out, it was very competitive. But plus, there used to be a lot of tournaments in the club so, and pro-ams in and around. So a combination of day in, day out practice good players um, and lots of the same time if they were there you were all trying to get a game with Ken and Ronnie as well because sure. they were obviously ahead so they might be away at tournaments and then we'd be trying to fight over their tables as mm. such um, and then so to come day in day of practice in those tournaments you know the games came on mm. greatly Do you remember the first venue and um, sort of first TV match because that's always a big breakthrough isn't it? Yeah well the first like, venue such from those qualifiers was actually Trenton Gardens right. when I say venue that was instead of down to the lap meeting, started off in round one, mm. now it's around five, so mm. there's maybe 160 or 190, yeah, yeah. but it was still, and that first year as well, I got to the first round proper of qualifying, <laughs> in the, I won four or five matches in the World Championship, I got to Preston, the Guildhall, mm. to qualify for five, so it's still five to get the cruise, and yeah. lost the first one. So um, yeah, a lot of people listening, they weren't if they're new to the game, they won't realise there was literally sort of twelve rounds in because the, there was like seven hundred people who would entered the tournament. So it, it took a long time to get down to like the TV stages. Yeah, like five. Like I, I said, I where I was, like five matches away from being in the cruise, mm. but I had won five matches yeah. four or five months previously mm. just to get to the stage because obviously mm. they take it five hundred to get down to sure. one hundred and twenty eight, hundred ninety two, mm. and then the following following summer, so I qualified for a few, so I got two. Uh, 64 the, so the Guild Hall was probably the first mm. venue I played lost to Carrie Wilkinson the right. tournament director yeah. um, and I also qualified that year for Thailand mm. which was in March of 93 and I beat Steve Davis there so that was, okay. that was, a, that was a real big breakthrough mm. such. do you remember your first TV game? Steve Davis was on TV okay. it was on TV but was that shown back home? yeah it was actually because oh, okay. remember um, one of the early Sky Sports was mm. actually Peter Rebton was doing the he still had his ponytail he was doing the you know, interval analysis and such. Okay. So that was a big thing. Yeah. I beat him on the black. So that was, mm. and then afterwards as well, he asked me to. Um, obviously, he was just up the road in Rome, but he asked me if I wanted to come down a couple of times to practice, which mm. I did a couple of times. Because so. mm. that's big, isn't it? Because you know, you can tell people, "Oh, I'm a snooker professional," but they, they, they might say, "Well, I, I was watching it last week. I didn't see you." But when you're actually on TV, but you people can see it. Yeah, exactly. I'd <laughs> more adds more credence to it. As mm. Graham Dodd always says about matches that are on TV or not on TV. Doing the cubits, he says, you can lie. You know, yeah. if somebody says, "How did you get I lost four two. I was a little bit unlucky. People mm. buy that. Yeah. But if you're playing on TV, they can say, "Well, you might be a bit unlucky, but you did miss three blacks out their spots." And mm. you know, so you, you can't lie. So it's a, it's certainly a greater uh, test. Mm. You mentioned you, you watched Alex Higgins win the world championship. You watched Dennis Taylor win it. Ninety four, you qualified for Crucible. And in the first frame, you make a century. You're still the only person ever to do that, which mm -hmm. suggests you've gone there feeling relaxed. Can you remember how you were feeling going in? It's a, it's a funny thing, actually. Even the year before, uh, I think Brian Morgan played. Mm. I was just happened to be random. I didn't watch that, that much of it. Mm. But he missed an eight or something. I remember leaving the commentary saying, I don't think he's ever, anybody's ever right. made a century. Yeah. But I don't know how that registered. But even with McManus, and I wasn't overly aware of it. Um, I, I'd just come from 
the Irish Masters and Gothenburg got to the semi-finals. Mm. <coughs> and I've beaten Stephen Hendry, probably one of the best ever performances sure. there. So my confidence was quite good. Um, I played Alan. Um, I ended up being 9-3 down. Made a clearance to go 9-4. Got back to 9-7 and lost the next one even on the black. So I made a bit of a comeback there. So. Um, yeah, I've, I remember the time I said I was playing well. So wasn't, I was more good concentration. We were just concentrating mm. the job in hand. Mm. Obviously, you kind of, the back of it, you knew where you were. Mm. But probably actually subsequently, sometimes I went back there, the groups would have had more of an impact than maybe the first time. It's mm. probably just in maybe a good groove and concentrating. Whereas if your concentration is that great, mm. you know, you can drift. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, it's interesting because, we, you know, the, cru the crucible is sort of, um, you know, it's, it's made up to be quite rightly the sort of holy grail, the pinnacle the World Championship people and most people have grown up watching it what is it like to walk down those stairs do you feel the sort of history yeah you do very much so um, you know but obviously as a kid this is growing up Europe, I was very at all the books I was very aware of mm. who won what and all the, mm. and the history of the matches so I'm very very aware of that um, to get to play and then obviously such as the stature of it you know big thing if you're seven, talking to people like, have you played on tennis mm. have you played in the cruise mm. and if so what's your best in the world championships they're mm. kind of like the, maybe some defining questions mm. that people ask in the same way I don't really care who won a tennis tournament in Dubai mm. but I'm interested in Wimbledon sure. or yeah. somebody gets the quarters of Wimbledon is a far bigger deal than mm. if they won in Dubai or China so you can't really downplay it because it's you know, uh, mm. the importance of it and uh, and once we do have the UK Championship and the Masters, it's, it's not quite the same. Mm. Whereas in golf, they four majors. Mm. Sneakers only really has the one because um, the, the, the proof of that is I know they're trying to make up the big three, and they are the three most prestigious. But Jimmy White's won them all. But people ask Jimmy yeah. White, they don't know what he has won, they just yeah. know he hasn't won the World Championship. So, yeah. um, so we're always trying to do well in that. And, they claimed some sort of a record there. Sure. So, as we say, you, you turned pro in the open era. Now, most of the guys who turned pro then, who entered, fell by the wayside. But you came through it. You started to rise in the rankings. So, it's sort of mid-90s we're talking now. Did you start to feel comfortable as a professional? Did you start to think, yeah, actually, you know, I can do really well out of this game? Yeah, I probably felt that early enough. Even that, that 93, 94, yeah. I was winning a lot of matches. Um, you know, it's only thing about reset. I, I don't think I, I gave really any creeds at all to the way the rankings were. Mm. Or like, if you ask me goals, I might have just said it to generally, yeah, you want to get mm. the rankings at top sixteen or whatever. But it wasn't, it wasn't like actually sat down. I was more just happy playing and winning, trying to win every as many matches as I can. Mm. Um, so it's probably not, not a bad philosophy. You're just happy winning and winning. And as boy put, you were going up the rankings. And stuff. But no, so there ain't enough. I've done done well enough mm. that it can be confidence. Mm. Snooker is an individual sport, but every now and again there's a team event. The World Cup in, in Thailand '96 was mm -hmm. a bit of a roller coaster for the Irish team, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. you, you, yourself and Ken and uh, Stephen Murphy. Stephen Murphy, yeah. yeah. Uh, tell us about that because you got to the final, of course. Yeah, it was, it was a fantastic time, really. Was, um, I have to say, Ken played absolutely amazing. Um, I think, but the group stage, I think myself, Ken and Stephen Murphy had all more or less won the same amount of frames. Because mm. we were there for about two weeks until Ken's part, well, Ken and Stephen's pal Finbar was over as well. He were allowed bring, there was a sub came over in case anybody came. Sure. Mick Judge came over, mm. and then the quarters. I think we beat Canada. And then the semis we beat England, which is a great match. And Ken practically yeah. won every frame, even in the final. He played fantastic. Yeah. So we were delighted. I remember coming back like 
kind of obviously a bit more success than we were like ourselves. We got 18 grand each. Mm. You know, I remember we sat in Ken, sitting down, even Stephen Wolfie, you know, sort of saying, you know, like, you know save this, invest this, you know, don't blow it. <laughs> but, uh, you know. But great memories. I mean, you didn't quite win it, but to be together again, because like I say, it's usually just an individual game, but to have that camaraderie must be fantastic. Yeah, exactly. You know, more so, I suppose, Ken and Stephen had grown up together, and this is even when I was starting off, they were the two, about three years ahead, they were the two, you know, really rivals. I was, you know, a bit of a Davis and White type of characters. You'd see them. You'd see them at tournaments, and mm. you know there were different characters, different the way you go about it, and different supporters as such. Mm. So they were obviously very close. I was just a little bit younger. Yeah. It wasn't quite. Uh, I liked them and got on board, and didn't quite bond that day. Mm. That, that that obviously I would now, but now it's mm. fantastic time. It's only when you kind of, you were so close at the time, a bit like ah yeah, because it was a good week, but mm. you know it doesn't didn't get played that many times thereafter. You know what I mean? Sure. So you'd like another crack at it. Yeah. Let's talk about the 1999 British Open, the first one that is, because there were two, two that year. Yeah, but yeah. In Plymouth, you won the first one against Anthony Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Um, what I remember about that was a lot of close frames in the final that you seemed to win. It was um, not only your first ranking title, but it was hard earned, wasn't it? Yeah, it was that 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 whole um, that whole week because uh, well, even a few days before there was a final qualifier for the World Championships, mm-hmm. which I qualified. So I don't think I've done as well if I, because it's such a blow if you lose. Mm. But I mean, the first match, I stopped a four all against Anthony Bolsover. Came back on the frame mm. five four. Next one was five four. It was four one up five four. Then it was a bit easier. I think it was five two against Wilkinson. Five four against Ebbed in the quarters. Missed at four three. Missed a couple of blues. I don't know how mm. they didn't go in. They yeah. just rattled. Yeah. Five four. Higgins been six five, and then even Anthony the start. Because uh, I know people, because obviously neither were first final for both, and probably wasn't the glamorous final people were hoping or expecting. But it's the first two frames, Anthony had two times. Yeah. And even, as you said, but by the end of it, I won 9 7 on the black. But Anthony had outscored me by 300 mm. points. Mm. I'd made a few breaks, I'd made a century and a few others. I wasn't, but he'd scored very heavy. But I, I nicked just a couple of finals and mm. made a big difference. But what was it like though at the end? I mean, it must have been not just after the immediate aftermath, but the sort of days afterwards. You must have been just on top of the world to won a big tournament. It was, yeah. But that finished on the Sunday, then the following Friday, um, I went to the Crucible. Mm. I was playing first day, I think, and uh, I, I, played, I played terrible. <laughs> I remember I broke off and hit the blue. Mm. I don't think I've ever done that. But mm. I was four nil down to Drago, lost seven two, and ten mm. four, ten five. And I remember actually bumping into Andy Hamilton for he was going to play the same. A week's a long time, it's new, you know, it kind of was just a bit, mm. but no, when it kind of, uh, no, it's fantastic, fantastic mm. to have won, you know, people still since remembered, mm. you know, not necessarily worldwide, but obviously people do to they know that I've won the tournament. Sure, such, so, uh, sure. But uh, unusually, you didn't get to sort of keep the trophy for the full year, did you? Because yeah. I think it was September when it was kind of, yeah, the tournament yeah. was moved in the calendar, so suddenly you're defending it again. Yeah, that was a bit, <laughs> a bit of a, a, bit of a signal really, mm. because, uh, um, you know, I'd only won it in April. Uh, you know, we had a few ones because obviously you're kind of showing it around, yeah. giving it to people. So I hadn't had that much time with it. And then yesterday we went back, and I remember even then, when I could beat the last 16. I played, uh, I remember I was raging because I played, mm-hmm. won a couple of matches, and I spent the last 16, and I won at night or something. Mm-hmm. And they put me on the very next morning against Joe Swell. Mm-hmm. They could have easily scheduled it. Mm-hmm. They could have easily scheduled looks as these two, whoever wins, don't put them on, put sure. them on the afternoon. 
had a bit of sluggish start the last five all, so that was a memorable signal coming out of it. So again, you'd only won it now, but if you come back four or five months later mm. and you're going out the door, I can remember that one as much as mm. you, you know winning because it was just sick the way you know it was, it was bad the way they did it. So easily avoidable to say, look, whoever wins tonight's match. Because mm. again, I actually beat Andy Hicks in Plymouth. It's a, it's a big enough deal. You know, mm. there's a good crowd there, so um, I thought they could handle that a bit better. Speaking of raging, um, <laughs> let's talk about the Nations Cup final um, at Reading mm. because there was a famous incident where the referee basically told you to speed up in a not very subtle way at a crucial moment. Yeah, Alan Chamberlain said to me at that, and again it was a crucial stage, and obviously it was a crucial stage, and I think maybe when you were 4 3 down, mm. again in the final again against Scotland, um, and maybe 40 out ahead. With John Higgins, there's about four reds left. So you're trying to barely control it, not really make a mistake, because again, you're always conscious, not just for yourself, but you don't want to be the one that loses the frame or whatever. But I mean, Alan Chamberlain comes over, to, well, from the other side of the table, says, like, hurry up, he says, TV knocks off in a couple of minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Which, again, look, um, if he, as I said, if he'd have come to, and by doing that, of course, then the crowd became aware, so the crowd got a little bit involved. I remember feeling there at the next shot I've made a bangs of it. John got in, I played a poor safety and cleared. And subsequently they won the next few frames. It ended up being very quick. So it was an important frame as it turned out. So I remember like thereafter being very, very self conscious in the arena because you kinda just it was it was very uncomfortable. Um, but look, I suppose if at the end of the frame he'd come to me in my chair on me on and said, Look, it's in my mind to warn you, or I am warning you, fair enough. If he makes a decision you know, look, maybe it was overplaying the shot maybe the importance of the situation had got in the way of me thinking maybe but the way he handled it, it was unprofessional if he comes over and says to me, that's okay grand you just carry on nobody knows you know, mm. but, um, okay well let's talk about well it's it's sort of a happier memory and I guess not in some ways you got to the Masters final in 2001 mm. one of the great occasions Wembley Conference Centre um, you go ahead against Paul Hunter 6-2 we know what happens he comes back to win 10-9 a crushing disappointment, I'm sure, at the time. How do you look back on it now? Obviously, considering the sad events that led to Paul's passing. Yeah, no, I was, I was absolutely good at the time. You know, I, I probably, I probably, in hindsight, let it uh, get in at me maybe a little bit more than it should have. Because instead of looking at look, because because in since finals we knew, new wish to me, you probably made it a bigger thing. Whereas like even the following year. He was seven two down to O'Sullivan, mm. so if I lost from six two up and was good at O'Sullivan, mm. for all he's won, he was seven two up and still lost. Mm. And Mark Williams was five and up on him. So I think over the course of if you play in a career and you play 20, 30, 40 finals, you're going to win some amazing ones and mm. lose. So if you kind of just had to look at well, that's one of the finals that's happened and that'd be better for the experience as opposed mm. to being a crushing blow. Um, but it was only celebrating obviously years after my Paul got sick and obviously died then any disappointment you may have still had mm. you know you just have to let that go because you know as disappointing as it was if you're looking back now the right thing was that he won mm. was that he won because obviously there was a first of three so if that him winning whatever my disappointment is has helped his legacy yeah. I can't be on that because you know as disappointing it was what then happened to him is obviously far far greater, greater significance so mm. The right, in hindsight, it was the right thing to happen that he, the way things panned that he won. But obviously at the time, and 
funny enough, that night, because a few people from Ireland come over, so I can still remember, like, one of my Biden memories at six in the morning, and Paul Hunter was sitting on my lap. <laughs> <laughs> we're, having a, we're having a chat, you know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, there was a guitar out with people singing. Yeah. And we'd, you know, by any other stretch of the imagination, we had a great night. Because yeah. I wasn't overly close with Paul, as mm. he'd probably be a little bit younger and a little bit more sociable than me. <laughs> Um, not that we never had any run-ins no. but obviously something like that kind of yeah. so I clearly remember that this is him sitting on me up at six in the morning yeah. brilliant not necessarily that much but more generally do you sort of I mean for example sometimes when you have a, an argument with someone hours later you think if only I'd have said that at that point I'd have, I'd have gone yeah. do you like with matches the close matches you've lost think oh, if I if I just played that shot instead of that one do you replay it or are oh. you able to just draw a line under it and move on Obsessive is a is a yeah. is a fair thing to run yeah. play it. Yeah. If you play a match at night, you play a match and you lost. Uh, you could replay that shot. I wish I could have, would have, should have. I mean, hundreds of times in your mind. <coughs> Not that you're trying to consciously think it through and say, okay, what can I learn from this? Because half the time you don't want to be thinking about. But your mind has, has become so so active. You invested so much in it. Sure. And literally, could be, you know, you need to be many, many, like literally sleepless nights. That could be four o'clock, you fall asleep for a couple of hours, then you're up early again, bright as a button, and the first thing you remember is maybe, mm. you know, some, uh, that's always very uh, difficult. So, again, sometimes that can be evolved even when you're playing. Mm. If, if sometimes losing is so hard, sometimes when you're playing, obviously, actually, you get a bit fearful because you don't want to lose because, mm. you know, uh, those nights are uh, not so comfortable. Tremendous highs and lows. Mm. Okay, so you've, you've been in the top 16, as I say, you've been in the Masters final, you won a tournament, um, but then you dropped out the top 16 and you dropped out the top 32, and that sort of period in the, the mid-2000s weren't necessarily great for the sport. There weren't many tournaments, uh, long gaps between events. What was that time like for you as you just started to slip back a little bit? Yeah, well, as I said, um, more so at that time, I said I was 16 at the end of 2000, I decided to change when I changed my queue. <coughs> but also in my queue action, I went to start working with Frank Cannon. Mm. Um, just I felt, just wanted to effectively become a better, a better player. So um, the work I did with him, I feel was good and I became a better player with more knowledge, greater technique, more knowledge. But obviously, like a golfer changing the swing, that takes a period of bending. So obviously, the following year was a little bit ropey in matches, a bit more more technical thoughts than maybe previously had. So as a result, I slipped out of the sixteen, then the following year I slipped out of the thirty-two, and this is around that time. It was very hard then because if there's only six tournaments, it's hard mm. to particularly if you're at the conference a little bit low. In a bit of a habit of losing games, the less tournaments you have, it's harder. So we, you might play, you might. Win or lose, you know, for six weeks, and you know, that, uh, that was hard. Whereas, if you now, nowadays, if, even if you're struggling a little bit, tournaments all the time, you get mm-hmm. a little bit of a run, a bit of momentum. So, it wasn't great times to be playing, it wasn't great times to be not playing particularly well because mm-hmm. his opportunities were so few and far between. Mm, and also, you're having to go to Prestatin and these sort of places, it's not a sort of necessarily glamorous uh, sort of, uh, yeah, sort never, of time, I've is never, it? I've never, yeah. never minded that okay. at all, no matter where I've played or played, so oh, it's a kid bar. Mm. Didn't, I never got a gross. As long as Prestatin, I liked Prestatin, I'd, mm. um, I found a nice little baby, baby. my pal used to come over. Yeah. I always thought the tables were good. Mm. But, but, w- but more generally, were you concerned? Because if you start to slip down the list a little bit, the, the, the fear possibly is you're just going to keep going. Yeah, of course, mm. that had seeped in. I think. Actually, one of the years, it might have been 05, there was talk they were going to cut the tour to 64. Mm. 
and I think I've only given around the 50s at that stage, so coming for the World Championships, it's possible yeah. I could have slipped off. But then the night before, I think Dale Hill had rallied the troops, and mm. that wasn't going to be the case. We mm. ended up with Joe Delaney, and then a few weeks later, John Parrott to qualify in 05, so mm. that was kind of the end of that. But yeah, you're just you're always concerned you're not really getting results. Mm. Um, it's compounded, and it's, there's not that many tournaments to put it right. Sure. Yourself and Ken have been the two leading Republic of Ireland players for 20 years, basically. Mm. What is your sort of relationship like? Because obviously he's been world champion. He's been kind of kind of the number one, although I think you're ranked above him now. Yeah. Are you friends? Do you get on? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We get on very yeah. well. Um, probably maybe a time. Probably, how to say? This is definitely the last few years, but definitely the best we've, we've mm. ever got. Not that we, I wouldn't say this period where we didn't get over. Because there's a natural rivalry, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. It, it was never. It was never a period then since we weren't talking to each other or anything like that. Cause it wasn't quite Tyler Higgins. <laughs> no, no, no. It wasn't like I'm from the north side of Dublin, you're from the south side, and none of that. But yeah, I, I think there was always a competitive rivalry. Mm. Bring in mind Ireland. Is a, Ireland, Dublin, Ireland, small enough place. The mm. snooker community is small enough place, so mm. it can be a little bit. Uh, to say, engrossed in yeah. in it as such. Um, so yeah, obviously he was he'd always been a few years ahead of me. Um, he'd, he'd a far greater junior and amateur record than I. So he was called the benchmark that you're mm. looking to challenge. And um, just by the nature, of it, just it was, as I said, it was just like a natural rivalry. Mm. But you know, I suppose I remember. So obviously, was one of my goals, such was to become number one in Ireland. Yeah. You know, it was just a, wasn't a massive thing. Mm. I remember one time I got beaten in the Worlds to qualify. The next day I was flying home, I was at the airport. I was just checking results and I'd see Ken got beaten. I mean, pal goes, Ken got beaten. So you're, you're higher ranked than Ken now. Like, oh, maybe I was 38. Yeah. <laughs> I was a bit like, yeah. I, was, I was one of those who were like, oh, I wanted this for years. This, this ain't worth shit mm. to me. You know, because I hadn't qualified for the Worlds. Yeah. Like, it was far better than Ken. I much preferred being number nine behind Ken. Who was at number seven? Mm. You know, so just by the nature of he's he's competitive, uh, so am I. So we've got practice games. We'll be competitive. Obviously, mm. we're playing matches. There's that's a rivalry there because it, it, more so in the sense of said if you lost to somebody, if you come back, if I lost to Edwin or Henry, go back. Oh, hard luck. You did well. You got beat the quarters. Mm. Which very lost to Ken. It was a bigger deal when you back to the club. Sure. Oh, you lost to Ken, and, and likewise if he lost, and I think subsequently he said he felt uh, pressure. Playing other Irish players, not just me, because I know Patrick Wallace and Michael Judge, who were probably 40, 50 rank, beat him as well. So mm. just, it, it can be a little bit awkward, is probably the best way to do But like now, as we, as we got in, great, and uh, like I was up for, it's great if actually you qualify. You look at the results and see Ken's qualified, sure. you always be like, oh, happy days, you know, yeah, somebody's yeah. travelling with her. Yeah. Plus, more so as well, since there's been a couple of World Cups. and mm. And events or said, no, no. And then, I'll, to be fair to that, even if we were a bit competitive, his family, you know, like his brothers and that, who I know, always gone great with him and his mom and come mm. around. Mm. So now we, you know, great time. So, amongst the competitive words, we never fought, fell out. I said, always oh, a great respect from that. So you kind of knew, even in practice, you had to play well to beat him. You, mm. um, so it was, it was great for that, that competitive, you know. But mm. I said, it was much, it's much better. <laughs> Much better with probably 16 than ranked sure. 30 or 40, I don't know. Sure. 2007 in Northern Ireland, you got to the final of the, of the Northern Ireland Trophy, and that, that must have been nice because, as I say, you had been maybe out of the limelight a little bit and playing in qualifiers and so on. That must have been a bit of a fillip. Yeah, it was, yeah. 
think I like the, the most. But that was because <coughs> the way I played as such. Because uh, I beat um, John Higgins was four three down. John Higgins had two centuries against him, and uh, it's funny how it goes. Like talking about confidence and lack of confidence. And the day before I played Sullivan in the quarters, the day before he played Andy Carter, only four centuries and yeah. the maximum. Yeah, and I literally. I was playing, playing well, very comfortable. I literally had to say to myself, to stop myself saying to a Sullivan, like, you know, well, like, congratulating, but it was more or less short of saying, bring it on to that, like, I'm ready for whatever you've got, you know, <laughs> which was an amazing thing. Mm. And sure enough, I played really well and beat up 5 2. Mm. But I didn't play so well in the final. Um, maybe, not so much in the occasion, but the, the chance to win another tournament probably. Um, I said my game it dipped a little piece mm. for the final probably wasn't as clear thinking as it had been uh, during the tournament mm. so 25 years on the tour now Fergal uh, 1991 to the current time and I can't I, the only two players I can think of who in that period are still pros Mark Davis Peter Ebden I'm not sure there are any, there are any of those are unbroken spell so it's quite a proud record what do you put your longevity down to is it, is it the hard work are you still a, a hard practiser Firstly, I love the game. Mm. You know, so even as I said, I've, even if I've had heartbreaking defeats, mm. um, I have um, a bad day snooker beats a good day's work. And uh, you know, there's nothing I'd, I'd, ra- I'd rather do. Mm. Um, tied into that, yeah. I, as a, tied into that, I do work hard, continue to put the hours in. Oh, you know, in a sense, I always have. Mm. Um, so obviously, that stands to, and then you're always looking to. Looking to improve, talking to new people. You know, in the last few years, you know, joined the joined the running club, got fitter. Mm. Even the guy, the the running coach, Colm O'Connor from the running coach, the club, having chats with him. He's come from different sports, so there's things he would have said, and it's got you. That's very good. Mm. Then maybe how the runners prepare or psychology of things. So things you've added in. Well, there's two coaches in Ireland, PJ Nolan <coughs> and Peter Troy. Work with them. So. You know, in some ways, I feel I'm a better player than I was when I am number was number nine. Mm. But obviously, the greatest strength in that, and I probably haven't had to really do a little bit more consistent. I'm getting deeper runs in mm. that. And your wife, Jean, of course, she was an Irish international. Mm. So, is it a case that maybe you come home from a tournament? Do you have a, like a post mortem because she would understand it, or do you try not to bring all that home? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it doesn't. Just it's you know, it's, as I said, she did. She stopped playing in '93. Mm-hmm. Um, so, no, by the time I've come, because you have any disappointment, because obviously I have to travel home, mm. so by the time I've come home the next day, like it's done and dusted, mm. I'm not really going to be carrying, I don't know, maybe when, before a child comes, comes on board, maybe you carry it a little bit more for a couple of days, mm. but obviously, which is 16 now, but since I disability, you can't really, if you're going away, coming back, it's going to be moping around for a couple of days. Mm. So, so I'd never come back and say, oh, you know, if I was three all and I was thirty ahead, what would you? Do? <laughs> There's none of that. But yeah. obviously, the fact she's into is great. That it's snooker, like she's no problem watching the snooker. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, uh, probably too often if you're watching the likes of the World Championships, it's you. Know, I'd be like coming in, the no good. Rally's mm. on. This should be game. So mm. we'd watch it all the time. Good. But we wouldn't be um, getting advice as such. No. At the sign of your longevity this year, um, last season at the Championship League, you became the oldest player at the age of 43 to make a maximum. That was a nice little milestone. Yeah, I was absolutely <laughs> delighted with that. You know, I really, really was. Um, I should probably see the pictures after. Mm. I, was, I couldn't pull up. <laughs> I couldn't pull up all the next few frames. I'm just sitting in my chair, so giddy. I just wanted to stop the match and start ringing people and telling them what I'd done. 
you know, I said I should have even went. To, if I went to the toilet even for a couple of minutes, I kind of, mm. um, I kind of regrouped. Um, no, that was lovely to have again. That was another thing. You suddenly get a sense to have on CV and your career list of things you've done. You mm. know, because again, people ask you, you know, what's your highest break? Have you ever had a one four seven? And so that was nice to tick that box. Mm. It seems you still love being a snooker pro. Of course, things have changed a lot in recent times. with more snooker than ever. Are you, are you enjoying this this busy new era? Yeah, love it. Mm. This is my only. You know, I wish I was 10, 20 years sure. younger. That's the only thing. Um, you know, if somebody, if somebody could say to me, look, I guarantee you'll have 10 more years in the tour, mm. I'd be happy as Larry. That, that's all I'd want. Mm. But um, so competitive, obviously, there's no guarantees. So we've never had it so good. So mm. let's see, looking back, I said, God, I'm starving now. Mm. Or, you know, it was even 10 years ago when, the, as you said, there was only six tournaments to have all those tournaments week in, week out. Yeah, because the best way to describe it is if you win a tournament, you want to play next week. Mm. And if you lose first round, you want to play next week. Yeah, sure. So, you know, what's not to love, whatever. And mm. as I said, the fact that um, what's happening, we don't get necessarily the business ends, but the fact that I'm still, you know, very fit, it doesn't really, uh, I suppose as you get older, obviously you've got to manage that a little bit. Now, mm. 44, you're probably not going to have the fitness levels or energy maybe you naturally had at 24, but I couldn't really say that I've been like, totally burned out by the time. Now, maybe if you're getting this end more often on quarter semis final that might have an impact but it hasn't mm. I suppose you have to say you're a veteran now really you've been yeah, on, the, on, on the tour a quarter of a century if, if sort of young players coming through wanted advice <laughs> about sort of how to behave I guess as a professional what would you what, would, what were the sort of key points you would pass on to them oh, good question the first thing practice mm. put the work in that's the that's going to be the the the, the defining or deciding factor in who makes it it doesn't as a, using myself there's far more talented players than me in Ireland as a kid um, you know when first term pro more talent but you know you actually outwork, you know you outwork the best and you become the best or, or one of the top players um, and also the, the prep, apart from actually the preparation you know in the sense doing the right things that's what you do right things giving yourself Every chance, mm. so you know, if you're out one or two the night before having a few beers and out chasing, you know, mm. you can't be at their best level. You might still get away with, and everybody have a story at the time, or they heard if they didn't upset the earth, they were up to three or four, loads of points, mm. played amazing the next day. But we all have, they're very much the exception in the rule. Um, you look because when I was going through the Hendries and the Davises. And not just their practice, but the application and effort that they put in. That's what was what you did. You know, they were going to bed early, doing it, giving themselves the best chance mm. with the work ethic, with the desire. And then uh, in and around, probably to be uh, as a professional, in dealing with other people and uh, respect. You know, mm. I would like to always think that people on the tour have shown respect for other players once they've been competitive. I wouldn't like to think that there's, you know, I just put them off in any way or. Mm. Like those referees, or just the people in around that you respect for them and all the work they're trying to do. And if you do have, if you did have an issue, you go about it the right way. Mm. Just handing this up with a bit of is it, is dignity, the word, or mm. what somebody said, well, this dignity to, to act as if a five year old child was with you, mm. watching on. That's you know, I yeah. can't say I've, I've always <laughs> acted impeccably, but I think I've got a balance. I've tried to always respect the game, and, but the respect the game is not just actually we're playing. It's the people involved with it and uh, trying to, 
as a part of the give back as best you can. Mm. Absolutely. Well, it's been great to chat to you further. Well, you've been a professional for 25 years, and if I may say so, you have been a professional. You, you have treated the game professionally, and I think that's part of the reason you're still going strong. No reason not to continue for many more years to come. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Okay, thanks. Yeah, thanks. We've been talking for 25 years. It's a day. Thank you very much, Virgil. Cheers. Thank you. Sports Social Podcast Network. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.